Welcome back to another edition of Coronation Radio. I am your host, Patrick Gerhardt, and today we are heading down south to red dirt country, the land of the Sooners. Nebraska plays Oklahoma here coming up soon, and we have Brady Trantham of 107.7, the franchise down in Oklahoma City with us today. Brady is an OU alumnus and, well, also a fellow metalhead. Brady, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, hey, Patrick, how you doing? I'm uh, excited to be here, and uh, it's fun now that uh, even though it's only one week into the college football season, it's a lot more fun to talk about football that has been played. No matter how bad it's been, it's a lot better to talk about football that's uh, that's been played than just sitting here for six months going, well, I think this can happen or I this should happen. So I'm glad it's just football season. Yeah, you get to the point in about mid-late July where all your preseason previews you read, you go through the analysis you have from last year, you just sit down and go, yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen this year. <laughs> so it's good yeah. to have at least a week in to kind of move forward with the season. So, but no, yeah, no, no welcome. So, you know, we're only a week in. We will, by the time this podcast goes, we'll be two weeks in. How's Oklahoma doing this year? How are they looking? <laughs> Well, I mean, the sky is falling. I mean, completely. They beat Tulane by five points when myself and about everybody that had an opinion on this game picked OU to win big. And they they absolutely should have. You know, you got to give credit to Tulane, of course, Um, no matter what year Tulane, just by virtue of being located in New Orleans, they're going to have some players. They're going to have some talent, skill position guys. Uh, This year, they fortunately had a very good nose guard defensive tackle. Jaquan Jeffries, I believe was his name, or Jeffries was his last name, uh, 6'2", uh, 315, just incredibly talented, and he showed that on Saturday. But that all being said, Oklahoma should have steamrolled them still. They should have steamrolled them at 11 a.m. on Saturday, Oklahoma time, and they should steamroll them right now. So the fact that Oklahoma took their foot off the gas, um, the coaches may or may not have treated it like a scrimmage. I don't know. You know, I don't know if – in terms of how many players they played, they rotated a lot of guys, especially on defense. They played 31 players on defense. Um, in that virtue, yeah, they treated it like a scrimmage. And did that water down the chemistry and the overall product of the game? Sure. Did that maybe swim into the players' minds and they then, you know, by virtue of that, treated it like a scrimmage? Whatever. No matter what the reason Oklahoma comes into the season with not just high expectations, but national championship expectations and realistic ones. They finally have a defense. They finally have the depth. Uh, we all know the talent of Spencer Rattler. We all know what a Lincoln Riley offense brings to the table. They have everything in place. And for that to be your first game uh, that you put out on film, the, the optimistic thing, I guess you could say, if you're an OU fan like me, is just, well, at least they got that out of the way. And now Lincoln Ryan, Riley and this staff have, every right to just drill into their heads that, hey, this is not supposed to be easy. No matter who you're playing, it's not supposed to be easy. So don't think just because you've got an O and a U on your helmet, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're just going to be handed something. So that's the optimistic uh, point you could take. And I'm kind of halfway there, but I don't know. I'm old school. That was, that was fairly embarrassing to watch on Saturday. And it's not very indicative of a national title team, but the season is young. <laughs> In terms of the top players, we all know Spencer Rattler. Who who else on the team should we be looking at this upcoming week when the Sooners come or when Nebraska comes out comes down and plays the Sooners? You know, who who are the guys on offense and who are the guys on defense that are really going to make an impact? 
Yeah, I think a guy like uh, Mario Williams already, um, he had the most catches on Saturday, most attempts thrown to him, of course, as well. Uh, he's a true freshman out of Florida. Um, he's a smaller receiver slot guy. He's, he's going to probably remind you a lot of uh, Ryan Broyles. He was around still when Nebraska was in the Big 12. So that same type of receiver with a little bit of a little bit of a special factor, because if you're 18 and you're playing day one, you, you have some type of special ability. Um, he's going to be a big factor. And Spencer Rattler already has a great chemistry with him just by just by virtue of him throwing the ball to him a lot. Um, Jaden Hazelwood, five-star receiver out of Georgia, out of the, uh, the Atlanta area. Uh, this is his third year. Uh, dealt with uh, his freshman year, dealt with having Jalen Hurts as his starting quarterback. And then last year with the ACL tear, he didn't come back until I think the Big 12 championship or at least later in the year last year. But this is put up or shut up for him. Um, everybody knows the talent. He had a few catches on Saturday, but uh, I, I expect Nebraska to be um, at least understanding of where he is on the field. But that really shouldn't matter if you're Jaden Hazelwood. you got to go show that. Um, and, of course, H-backs, Austin Stogner is going to be Spencer Rattler's security blanket, third and nine, third and passing downs. He's probably going to look Stogner's way, 6'6", six, six, huge target. A little bit on the soft side, and I say that just because he's huge and – I just think if you're that big, you should be able to maybe break a tackle and get some yak, but that's just me. I'm, I'm five foot 11. What, what the hell do I know? And then of course, running backs, Kennedy Brooks, he's going to be the most yawn inducing running back you've ever seen average eight yards per carry. It, it's incredible how good he is, but how uninspiring as a runner he is. He just does his job. He doesn't fumble, uh, no nonsense type of runner. And Eric Gray, the transfer from Tennessee out of the backfield as well, a little bit more versatile, uh, hopefully Spencer Rattler doesn't ignore him out in the flat when he's wide open like he did twice on Saturday because he's got some special open field ability as well. So uh, um, that, that's basically that's basically it. OU's got questionable depth at receiver and no depth at running back. So uh, for a national title team, it, it's or national title contending team, I should say, uh, still a few question marks on offense. Let's let's go to the trenches. Nebraska's kind of struggled this past year or the, the past couple games with their running game. Uh, receiving wise, we haven't played a whole lot of teams, especially when Illinois, you know, I mean, it's the Big Ten. There's not a whole lot of passing up here <laughs> like <laughs> like the Big 12 likes to do now. But Nebraska's done pretty poor job so far against the run, not just offense, but also defensively. How how is Oklahoma in the trenches right now? Offense and defensive lines. Well, the defensive line, the talent and the depth um, is really what could overwhelm you if you get bogged down in a pregame situation. You just look. There's just a ton of names, a ton of experience, and a ton of ability. Uh, but like I was kind of saying earlier, with the team, uh, maybe the coaches or the players or both treating the Tulane game like a glorified scrimmage. And I say that just because the effort was not there. The effort was not there, especially for four quarters. It was there somewhat in the second quarter when OU scored. Oh, they, they must have scored 24 straight points, uh, outscored Tulane 24 to nothing in the second quarter. And that was basically the difference in the game. They win by five, mainly because of that second quarter. And then on the final drive uh, where Tulane, after they recovered the onside kick, 
that's where you saw the effort, especially on the defensive line. They were getting in the backfield, uh, speed rushing, uh, rushing four with just their guys, Perrion Winfrey, uh, Winfrey, the big nose guard, uh, number eight. So I don't know about you, but it, it is awesome when you see a big defensive tackle have a single digit. So it, it kind of makes them a little, look a little bit more intimidating. <laughs> and uh, Perrion looks the part, and he can play the part. The problem with him on Saturday and even last season was just, come on, big guy, show that effort every play. And you could be every bit the all-conference, potentially all-American type player that some people have built him to be. Uh, Nick Benito as the speed rusher, the uh, defensive end, standing linebacker, uh, rush end, uh, preseason All-American, got in the backfield a ton against Tulane. One of the few players on defense that I didn't really question his effort. <laughs> he, he actually played like he gave a damn, so that was nice to see. But um, in terms of the offensive line, um, Oklahoma started Robert Congel at center, and he's a transfer uh, from Arizona, big-bodied, but – I'm not one to disagree with Lincoln Riley because he's the football coach and I'm just a guy. <laughs> Again, what the hell do I know? Uh, but Lincoln Riley and his presser yesterday described the offensive line play in terms of pass protection as excellent. And sure, Robert Congel at center did not get pushed around, but he got pushed back a little bit. And it caused Spencer Rattler to maybe drift or fade backwards into the pocket and kind of fade as he released the ball, trying to throw it. And it might have influenced a few passes um, in terms of their trajectory here or there. Um, the interior of the offensive line is like the big question mark, but there are question marks all over the offensive line. Anyway, Wanya Morris, the big time transfer from Tennessee hasn't played yet, potentially could play by Nebraska. Who knows? Lincoln Riley said that he's uh, well on his way to getting a lot of opportunities to start. Um, Andrew Rame is probably the starter at center, but um, was, I think it was COVID, but you know, you don't want to speculate on stuff like that. Just by what I've been told, I'm pretty sure that that's why he didn't start. And he made like a late appearance in the game. I think he just missed a lot of practice time as a result uh, because he wasn't hurt. Um, but I think Rame center is going to be your best chance. And again, hopefully by Nebraska, the interior of the offensive line is a little bit more set because if Nebraska is going to have any success, it's going to be just because they, not necessarily get pressure in Spencer Rattler, but mainly push the pocket backwards into Spencer Rattler to make him kind of get a little bit of happy feet because that's when Spencer kind of makes mistakes. If he's in a clean pocket, I mean, the talent speaks for itself. It's Patrick Mahomes-like. Well, that's good to know because, you know, you saw that a little last year with Spencer when the pocket did collapse around him. And not having a strong interior line kind of makes that iffy. Is Spencer the type of quarterback? Is he? <laughs> I hate to use like this because I hate puns, but is he easily rattled? <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't have. Um, how can I describe this best? I don't know if you guys remember Landry Jones that much, uh, quarterback from OU from 2009 when Sam Bradford got hurt. He was the QB yep. until 2012. We had some good games against you guys with him. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst football games I've ever watched with these two eyes. Uh, I mean, again, <laughs> you guys came out in the fortunate end, so it's probably not as bad for you, but 10-3. to 3, <laughs> I was at that game. Five interceptions, just ugh. It's one of the loudest games I've been to. Yeah, and it kind of – I've, t I've said this to my co-host Keegan Renault on our podcast through the keyhole. Um, and it's always this interesting little factoid that really, if you're ever like a big superstitious sports fan, like this, these, this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of that every team that left the big 12 
um, that, of course, OU played. The last time OU played each of those teams in in their venue for the last time, OU lost. OU Hmm. lost in Lincoln for the last time they played in Nebraska. They lost in Colorado in 07, the last time they played in Boulder. A&M in 2010 and Missouri in 2010. Just weird things like that seem to happen. So, you know. For Nebraska fans out there that are still waiting for maybe some scoreboard against your old friends and rivals in Oklahoma, you can at least chew on that. Last time we were in Lincoln, not a lot of fun. But um, in terms of Spencer Rattler, he doesn't have like Landry Jones happy feet or gets rattled like Landry Jones. Basically, if the play breaks down, he can still do something with his arm. Not necessarily his legs in terms of picking up a first down because he's just simply not that fast. Uh, but he can move around the pocket fairly well. He can extend plays, uh, sometimes the detriment of the team, uh, but a lot of times he can still buy time uh, with his feet and find an open man and even just throw to a guy, throw a guy open who would probably appear like he's covered very well just because the, the arm talent is incredible. So um, with me, it's just the interior of the offensive line has to get a push. If they get a push, then Spencer Rattler is going to just dink and dunk you to death and, and hit the leak route for a big game uh, from Marvin Mims um, all damn day. If not, that opens up the potential for him being a little bit risky with his arm, trusting his ability too much, and maybe throwing it to the opponent once or twice a game, which, of course, if you're Nebraska coming in as an underdog, um, what you need is just basically OU to give you chances. And if Nebraska can get pressure or at least push the interior of the offensive line into his face early on, Uh, There's the potential for that, of course. Oklahoma coming into this year is tabbed as a national title contender, Um, along with, you know, your basic two, three teams as we have been every year. You know, in your eyes, is Oklahoma a national title contender? And if not, what, what do you need to see change within the program outside of the things you've already mentioned need to happen? Well, I think just because about everybody south of Alabama looked fairly questionable in parts of their games against their opponents, you know, across the landscape of college football last week. Yeah, you can still say Oklahoma's a national title contender. They're one to know. Yes, you don't you want to destroy a team like Tulane and look good doing it, um, but they didn't. But they're still one to know and they still have all their goals ahead of them. Um, they should win every single game on their schedule. Uh, I, I have not said that since 2008, and I am a you know I'm a diehard OU guy, um, but I look at it realistically as much as I can. They should absolutely win every game on their schedule, knowing full well that they've had one inexplicable loss every season since 2015. Just like what the hell did we just watch? I guess that that's kind of the uh, I guess it's just kind of comes with the territory if you're going to follow OU. They're just going to have one bad day during the season and put a product out like that. They shouldn't, that shouldn't happen this year, but the symptoms were all there Saturday, but they got their win. So yes, they are still a national title contender, but what I would like to see change is this team in particular, as it's led by Spencer Rattler had this problem last year, Uh, they would look great for a quarter or two, and then they would take their foot off the gas and allow their opponent to hang around hover around and all of a sudden it's a game because they just score once or twice and boom, they're back in the game. Um, This Spencer Rattler led team last season. And of course on Saturday seems to perpetually be stuck in this twilight zone of they are one score away from blowing you out. All they need to do is score one more time and maybe stop you 
on the, on the ensuing possession. And then it's game over. Like the coach is probably going to go, yeah, let's pack it in, you know, 45 to seven, 45, 14 in the third quarter. I don't want to get my guys hurt. So we'll go a little bit more conservative, run the ball. There's just not enough time, not enough scoring to be had. Uh, so let's just call it a day, but they've not got that score. They've not got that stop. And it allows their opponent uh, to hang around a little bit longer in the game and just go, Hey guys, if we score one more time, we're just down 10 points that that can happen in a snap. So that's what I need to see change out of this team. And hopefully they got the picture on Saturday that they've, they're talented, but they've not made the development that I assumed that they would in the off season. And maybe that's a development that can only be found during the season when you're playing an opponent. Um, so hopefully that's the case because you can go all the way back to the Rose bowl against Georgia. Oh, he's up 35, 14, kick a squib kick uh, that wasn't executed properly at all. Georgia gets the ball at midfield. They complete one pass and kick a field goal. And they're down 34, 17. OU is still in control, but they get three points basically handed to them. And it gives them kind of like a feel good. Hey, if they're going to screw up like that, maybe they'll do it again and we can come right back. And then boom, they're back in it quickly in the third quarter. So it's something that's kind of stung this program under Lincoln Riley. And if OU's truly going to navigate their schedule, gets the playoff, win a playoff game, they have to get that their monkey off that monkey off their back as quickly as possible. Out of this entire schedule, who do you think is going to be Oklahoma's biggest threat? Oh, man. Well, I think after Tulane, like, as much as I've been saying, and, you know, again, all due respect to Nebraska fans listening, like, feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Brady Does Sports and tell me that I'm an idiot. Tell me that Nebraska is going to make me look bad. Or if Nebraska does upset Oklahoma, please feel free to remind me about it. But I've been saying all offseason, oh, you should beat the crap out of Nebraska. There's no excuse. Nebraska just simply does not have the talent to combat against this Oklahoma team. But after what I saw on Saturday, I kind of have a little bit of thought that, hey, if Nebraska makes a few plays or Oklahoma simply doesn't make a, a few plays early on, they'll start believing. And it's a rivalry game. There could be some magic in the air for all I know. Um, so Nebraska presents a challenge that I need to see this team kind of answer. Um, they do have a fairly stout defense that I've been impressed with even, even during the loss with Illinois. Like they're, The offense did not set them up for uh, a lot of success, but the defense still made enough plays to get them into position to win the ball game. Um, so Nebraska presents a challenge. Kansas State, of course, they've beaten OU two years in a row, got that game on the road in Manhattan, and you guys are fully aware of how raucous that environment can be uh, back in the Big 12 days. Uh, Texas, just from a talent standpoint, is probably going to be the most challenging. Um, we'll see how healthy Bijan Robinson is because they are going to ride him like the Dolphins rode Ricky Williams back in 2002. <laughs> and I'm a Dolphins fan, so I, I hate re remembering that. But um, still one of my that? favorite running backs. Oh, I love Mason Ricky, even though he's a Longhorn. Like he's hard not to like with the look, the dreadlocks, and just the being a badass on the field. His he's play, awesome. his play alone oh, in yeah. college was just, I mean, uh, he, bane of our existence in Nebraska in the late 90s. But he, Ricky, was just, the, the guy was just amazing. So, yeah, one, one, of, one of my favorite OU games to watch on YouTube that OU lost was 1997 OU Texas when DeMond Parker and Ricky Williams basically just traded 200-yard games with each other. It was just long run, long run, long run. It's, you know, it's football from a different era. And I think, I think you know, I could probably speak for both of us. I do love me some running football in college, in college sports. So watching games like that is kind of fun. But 
Um, yeah, outside of that, Texas, Iowa State, you know, just by virtue of them being the second best team in the Big 12, they're going to have a big challenge or they're going to be a big challenge coming to Norman in November. But really, here's the funny thing. The game that I've kind of circled as the potential pitfall for this team is uh, Baylor. Not because I think Baylor's good or anything. I think Dave Rand is a great defensive coach, and I think their defense has some talent. But OU plays nine straight games this year until their first bye week in November. Um, they play Western Carolina, Nebraska. Big 12 play starts. They'll play six games, and then they finally have a bye week. And I could just see this team finding a rhythm at some point in that nine-game stretch, and then for them to turn it off and have a week off and then go on the road to Waco against a defensive coach like Aranda right before Iowa State and then right before Oklahoma State to end the season, I could see that as the potential what the hell did we just watch loss. So um, every game presents a challenge, and I think that that's a lot more paramount now considering what we saw Oklahoma put on the field on Saturday against Tulane. Yeah, I was really fully not ready for you to drop Nebraska in the possible pitfalls for Oklahoma this year, at least not before last weekend. I, I honestly thought you were going to go straight to Texas and then, of oh, course. Well, trust me, like I, I, I'm not a BSer. I try to be as genuine as possible. If Oklahoma did what they were supposed to do on Saturday and won 56 to 10, like I predicted, uh, then I would, I would not have mentioned Nebraska. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Nebraska podcast and I want to be nice. So just in full transparency, I think OU should dominate Nebraska and dominate them fairly well and look good doing it. But after what I saw on Saturday, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I would put money on that thought. That's still early in the season, but let's, let's move on to the rivalry talk. You know, this has been, it's been a long time. It's been over 10 years since Nebraska's played Oklahoma. It's a long storied rivalry. You know, uh, I, I've seen some of your stuff online, your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, give us a rundown. What do you think of the historic rivalry of Nebraska, Oklahoma, the future? What do you think about Nebraska leaving the Big 12? You know, give us some of your thoughts. I, I asked that just based on the pure fact that unlike Texas, Oklahoma, the Nebraska, Oklahoma rivalry is a couple states away. We don't see you guys on a regular basis. You know, you guys are you're not like Iowa to us where, you know, yeah. we go back and forth quite a bit when Nebraska wasn't playing Oklahoma. There wasn't that connection and we still don't have that. Uh, so what 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 is your thoughts? What is the general Oklahoma person's thoughts, Oklahoma Sooner fans thoughts on the state of the rivalry? And like I said, Nebraska leaving for the Big Ten. And I asked that last one mainly because you guys are going to be leaving soon for the SEC. So, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, I, I think like the type of OU fan that I am, like whatever generation I represent. Um, so I guess like millennial OU fans, uh, but I've always, I got a history degree from OU. So I obviously love history in general, but I of course love sports history. And of course, OU history being very storied, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to kind of go back on. And just because something happened before Twitter or before I was born, doesn't mean that I discredit it. So of course, OU Nebraska, I've done huge deep dives on, and it's, it is such a special rivalry just because of all the cliches. Like, yeah, we, we don't like each other in terms of, hey, that's a really good team and they're kind of standing in our way, so we want to beat them. But it's not like OU Texas where I hate them. <laughs> I, um, I don't want to lose to them at all. Um, I, I don't even want to think about it. With Nebraska, you know, classically, it was just 
they're a great team on the other side. And if we lose to them, it's just because they were better on that day or they were just the better team. So there's a lot of respect between the two fan bases and two programs um, that you just don't see with other big time rivalries like that. I mean, what was it for about 20, 25 years, early seventies into the late eighties, the winner of that game was going to the orange bowl with a real, a realistic chance to uh, win the national championship. And it's kind of what the Texas rivalry became in the early 2000s um, in the Big 12, where the winner of that game would always go to the South, or would always represent the South division for the Big 12 title. And for a five or six straight years, whoever won that game played in the national title game. Um, so it, it's, it's sad that, it, you know, it worked out the way that it did. It's sad that when the Big 12 was formed, people didn't have the foresight to do what is kind of happening now, and especially kind of being discussed with the Super League of the SEC once OU and Texas join it, of, okay, we need to have certain teams play each other every year because of tradition and how much money that can, you know, the do- the almighty dollar is going to be the, the important thing. But I wish somebody would have the foresight when the Big 12 was formed to say, there are certain teams that need to play each other every year, and OU and Nebraska need to. And maybe because OU sucked really bad in 96 when the Big 12 was formed, maybe that's why it wasn't a big kind of uh, bullet point narrative to push once the conference was formed. Uh, maybe that was the case, but um, not playing every year, of course, sucked. But, you know, the generation of OU fan that I guess I represent, you know, I was born in 1990. So I think I've been alive for maybe – Oh, maybe four or five legitimate good OU Nebraska games. Um, I'd say like the 90 game was right after I was born. Nebraska was like nine and two. Oklahoma was eight and two. And Oklahoma, I think, won 45 to 10. That was the last time that OU beat Nebraska in the 90s um, until Bob Stoops got there. Um, 2000 OU Nebraska, 2001 OU Nebraska, um, 2006 Big 12 title game, and then the 2010 uh, Big 12 title game. So, for fans like me that are my age, they know the Nebraska rivalry and like what it means, but it's hard for them to fathom unless they're just simply history nerds. It's hard for them to understand that. Wow. Like ever since I've been like a football fan, Nebraska has been kind of like a second tier. Like they've not had a lot of success like OU's had. So why should I care about this game? But I guess my dad or my mom did. So I'll, I'll pretend to care. Um, and that's trouble. That's kind of concerning and sad to me just because, if you don't like history, then there's something wrong with you. It's not that hard to go on YouTube and watch like a 1984, 82 OU Nebraska game and just go, wow, this is a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of Nebraska leaving the Big 12, um, this is where I'll probably piss off your listeners again. So apologies. But I, I do hold a lot of animosity towards Nebraska's administration for wanting to leave. Um, I know that Nebraska has their reasons and I know they have their justifications and to Nebraska, they're, you know, they're, they were right. They were right to do so. And um, they make a lot more money. And if that's what you care about, if that's what the administration cares about, then fine, you know, good to go. But as excited as I am for the SEC move as an OU fan, I also ideally would have preferred OU to still be in the Big 12 playing their all the also ran programs in this conference that they've played for a hundred years. Like I don't care about Iowa state. I don't care really even about Oklahoma state, but they've played each other for a hundred years and you're just going to walk away from that. And the reason why I hold a lot of animosity towards Nebraska is just because they got the ball rolling. Uh, perhaps if 
whatever happened didn't happen or Nebraska just made the decision. Hey, let's just, this is kind of whatever's going on. That's pissing us off. This is just short term. Let's think about the future here. If the big 12 remain intact for all we know, maybe the big 12 is one of the best conferences in college football. And maybe they're the ones dictating conference realignment and maybe adding some teams from the PAC 10 or maybe in Arkansas because they don't like their position in the sec who knows. So I, I look at Nebraska and just go, I kind of treat them like a, I guess, like a girlfriend that broke up with me for no reason. <laughs> you know, it's like, you just look at him and go, why? Like we, it was fine. Like it was perfect. And you just walked away. And again, like I respect the Because decision. our new boyfriend has better stability. There, there you go. Um, and that's where like the big 12, like fumbled the ball then. And that's where Bullsby has fumbled the ball since like your main job as a commissioner is to make sure your programs, especially the, the good ones are happy with where they're at. And somebody fumbled at some point in the late 2000s, early 2010s with the Big 12, uh, because there was a lot of strength in this conference and there was a lot of historical power in this conference. And um, because Nebraska left mainly, I don't give a damn about AM or even Colorado or especially Missouri, uh, but because Nebraska left, it, it stained the Big 12 and it caused OU to have this kind of uphill battle that they themselves, of course, by virtue of losing, you know, playoff games and coming up short in big games in the 2010s, they also had this uphill battle that they just did, you know, it wasn't their fault. The Big 12 suddenly became like an afterthought. And so recruiting became harder when it shouldn't be as hard when you're OU to get into somebody's living room. Uh, but because you've got that Big 12 patch on your jersey, it's just, uh, no, I don't want to go play in your crappy air raid flag football conference. Um, so to me, like with Nebraska, it's just, I understand it hundred percent. I hope Nebraska can come back and be where they should be as a blue blood power in college football. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't think they will. I just don't see anytime soon, but I'm sure people said that about OU in the late nineties. So, you know, it's going to be, for someone who wasn't alive in the 80s or the 70s, it's going to be fairly complicated when OU plays Nebraska on Saturday because, of course, I want OU to win, um, and I'm going to enjoy the atmosphere as much as you can for a friggin' 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, but I, I, I just wish that it was in a better place, and whether that's you know Nebraska still in the Big 12 or Nebraska just simply being better in the Big 10, um, I just wish it was in a better place because – that Saturday should be like a celebration of just like the history of the two programs, like the game inconsequential in terms of the history, but um, it should just be a celebration of the two programs, but because everything's so weird and topsy turvy, I feel like the atmosphere is just kind of, kind of unfortunately take a back seat. No, I, I would fully agree on that. I think this, this game should be something that celebrates, you know, one of the most amazing games in college football history that happened 50 years ago. And it's in a way it's really not because of all the drama on and off the field for whatever you want to look at it, whether it's Oklahoma leaving for the sec or Nebraska supposedly trying to get out of the game, <laughs> depending on how you yeah. look at it. You mentioned, you brought up a good thing in terms of the fan base, um, at least from the Oklahoma perspective, Nebraska has always looked at Oklahoma the same way in regards to the respect, um, the enjoyment of each other's fan bases, the animosity 
was never the the hatred was never overly high outside of a handful of years, I think. And that's one thing that college football misses now is that it was a very unique rivalry during all those years. And mind you, as Nebraska, as much as because there's plenty of Nebraskans who I roll my eyes at who still say Oklahoma's our only rival. Trust me, there are Nebraska fans who still think you guys are our only rival. Don't ask me why. <laughs> but mind you, do you know what Barry Switzer's record was against Tom Osborne? It was like 15 and four, wasn't it? Or 14 and four? It, 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 it was, I think. Oh, sorry. Now you got me thinking incorrectly. It was tw- it was 12 and five. 12 and five. Okay. Yeah, because I was watching the um, oh, what was it? The game of game of the century two. Was that Patrick Collins, 86 or 87, I think, OU won 17 to 7 in Lincoln. And at the beginning of the game, like the little the old school 80s graphics on the CBS broadcast, it said like Tom Osborne was three and something, like three and 11. This was like in the middle of Sooner Magic. Yeah. They, at that point, he was three and 11 or something uh, against Oklahoma. And I knew what happens next. Like the next year was Barry's last year. OU went nine and three. OU lost to Nebraska. And then the 90s happened, and that's when Nebraska was basically what Alabama is today. And so I thought, did Tom Osborne just kind of backdoor his way into maybe having a positive record against Oklahoma because of the 90s? And I looked it up. No, he he finished off, what, 13 and 13 or 14 and 14? It was uh, close. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that sneaky, that sneaky old man. <laughs> No, it was it was a good it was a good rivalry back then, and a, a lot happened, but you know a lot changed, and both programs changed, and you know, twenty years ago, I would I, I would have been shocked if you told me that Nebraska would have been a t- separate conference than OU, and even shocked that neither one would be in their old conference. So it, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens. Um, hopefully, enough improves over the next year for when Oklahoma comes to Nebraska that maybe it's a little bit better game if this year's game doesn't turn out too well. But Oh yeah. I'm already looking forward to the trip to Lincoln because I have never been to an OU Nebraska game in Lincoln. I've never been to the state of Nebraska. So um, I'm, I've been looking forward to that forever. And look, I, I know Nebraska fans are disappointed with Scott Frost. Um, I don't know what the disappointment level is just because I'm sure it's difficult to be upset at a guy who was the quarterback on a national title team. But don't worry, OU's had experience with that. Josh Eichel was a bad offensive coordinator, um, got fired in 2014 as a result. But um, when Scott Frost was hired, I was so excited because I thought, he's the guy. He's the guy who's going to get the ball rolling back in Lincoln. And by the time that first OU-Nebraska game rolls around, that should be a fun game. And, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. But um, I don't mean to hijack the podcast, but I do, I do have one question for you. Uh, because I know Keegan and I are going to be talking about this Nebraska game week, and I don't want to talk out of turn, so I'll just ask you straight up. Do you think one of Nebraska's big problems um, with just the program is just maybe a loss of an identity? And what I mean by that is it, it doesn't have to be like just offensive philosophy, but just an identity as a program overall. Be- like the example that I'll use is, you know, for 20 years, OU was a wishbone team. That was their identity. And then the 90s happened. And so OU fans had to face the fact that college football was changing. You can't just run the wishbone against pro-style defenses and pro-style offenses anymore. You've got to be able to throw the football. And so OU as a program had a crash course in it just doesn't work anymore. 
<laughs> um, you can't have as much success as you enjoyed for 20 years in the 70s and the 80s. And when I look at Nebraska, you know, Tom Osborne retires, hands the reins over to Frank Solich. They still have a lot of success. They get to a national title game. Uh, they fire him. And then they take a complete left turn to Callahan. And then they kind of return to a little bit more traditional Big Ten-ish offense under Bo Pelini and have success. And, you know, Riley and then now Scott Frost. I just look at Nebraska as just a program that's trying to search for an identity to latch onto, and they've just not had any luck, like really finding one. But I'm just curious what you uh, you think about that. Oh yeah, and no, I'll, I'll happily be honest with you on this. I think finding an identity on the football team is a secondary issue with Nebraska. I think it is the cause of poor leadership or hiring of leadership on the university and athletic department level. Um, I think there has been on and off dysfunction going on for probably about 20 years. Um, the only reason you don't hear about it is because we are a good Midwestern institution and we don't talk about our problems, <laughs> unlike yeah. some parts of the country. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pick anybody out because some people have come and gone. Some people are still there that might be a part of this, but I think it would, it, it's the, the main re, the main issue with Nebraska right now is 20 years of bad hires and bad decision-making on uh, above the football program and it's affected the football program. So it's why we got, we went from Frank Solich being probably let go a little earlier than he should have. Um, I still think he would have been let go of it at certain point. Uh, it's why we shifted gears and, and, you know, Bill Callahan was supposedly the eighth pick. You know, I think Juan Stat was, yeah. was, was the main, was the main pick on that. I mean, for Pete's sake, we, we, we put, well, <laughs> I mean, the, the, there, I mean, we even went to Arkansas for nut. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, like, and, and those are just the ones we know about. So, and, and that was just the start. And, you know, so Callahan didn't work. Pelini came in, Pelini, you know, you're going to find a lot more, Pelini supporters in Nebraska than you probably realize, but that just ran its course, you know, and he was hindered yeah. by, and he was hindered by institutional leadership that we eventually got rid of. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing with, you know, I think a lot of stuff's been coming out over the past few months with our previous athletic director, Bill Moose, you know, it's just, it starts at the top and it goes down. And I yeah. think 20 years, and I go 20 just because I think really it's been 20 years of a slow, gradual decline of not just on the field, but off the field issues that have gotten us to this point. Um, it's, it's been tough with Scott Frost, but I'm starting to think it's maybe not all his doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it, 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 I, I, I think it's a fairly complex, we, we tend to treat these gigantic academic institutions as very black and white and they're really not and i think nebraska's case in point of that i would point at tennessee being another being another one with a lot of probably institutional issues that have hampered their on the field success you know for the most part you know they're in the sec so they benefit there they're in a little bit better of a recruiting area so that's USC. helped them USC, like a shorter amount of time, but I mean, I throw USC under in that category as well. They've like fired presidents and athletic directors and it, it shows, you know, like they've not, they're nowhere near the Pete Carroll days of USC, like from the, 
2000s at all. No, and, and I'm probably kind of like you. Like I, I miss those USC days. <laughs> you know, I like I like when the fun, and I'm a big Pete Carroll fan. Yeah, I like when the Blue Bloods are good. It's better for everybody. I mean, because even the fans who are not fans of Blue Blood schools, you know, you like it when there is a good bad guy. And to a lot of a lot of fans across college football, especially older ones, they look at OU as the bad guy because for the, the longest time, Switzer's, <laughs> Switzer's teams were the bad guys until Miami showed up, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, no, like the like the, the connection that I'll kind of pull from with that is, and I, I agree with that as well is just um, with Oklahoma's defenses under Mike Stoops, they were awful. And it was really easy to just sit there and say, it's because of Mike Stoops or these players are just not good at, they should not be starting at a place like the university of Oklahoma at all. But then Alex Grinch comes in and I'm not trying to sit here and say that Alex Grinch is the second coming of, I don't know, like just some great defensive coordinator, uh, but he at least has strong leadership skills to the point where he just reminded the players that, hey, there is a standard. If you're going to play at OU, here is the standard. And if you fall below it, you're not playing and you shouldn't be here. So either at least hit the standard or overachieve. And from day one, we found out, oh, there's actually some talent on this defense. So when you say, like, I don't know how much of this is Scott Frost's fault, I completely understand that. For all we know, Scott Frost is a great head coach at this level, at like a power five level. He is a great head coach, but because leadership and institutional leadership, um, lack thereof, them not having a standard or an identity to kind of go to work and understand every day, this is the bare minimum. I need to overachieve that. I think you're right. It trickles down to the coaching staff, to the players, to everything. And it has the potential to kind of rot into this kind of malaise of being average. And it's a dangerous place to be because it's, it's really hard to try to identify what the problem is and then go out and find a good leader to remi- remind everybody, this is Nebraska, five national championships, the greatest programs in college football history. Here's the standard. If you're not, if you don't reach it, then transfer the hell out of here. No, I think that's a good analysis down. So anyway, we are running out of time. I don't want to, this podcast to run too far over. Brady, where can the folks find you? Yeah, it's uh, on Twitter, like I said, um, at Brady Does Sports. Um, our, our podcast um, that I do with Keegan Renault. we do about two or three shows a week. Um, it's called Through the Keyhole. Um, I'm going through some Apple snafus because I'm sure you know how difficult Apple podcasts can be. Um, it's still listed. Yeah, it's still listed as our old name uh, inside OU, but I'm trying to rebrand everything because we have a Patreon page as well, also named through the keyhole. Um, that's where a lot of our cool content goes, film reviews, articles, everything. So, and trust me, I'm like I've mentioned already, I'm a gigantic history fan, a OU history fan, and of course by proxy, a Nebraska history fan. So. Uh, um, if you ever want to give us a chance, it's through the keyhole on Patreon, through the keyhole on anywhere you listen to podcasts and uh, Brady does sports on Twitter, of course. Perfect. Thank you.